Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week, and the Eagles have been busy as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 48. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with former NFL head coach and NFL Hall of Famer Tony Dungy to talk about the Tampa 2 scheme, what goes into it, the scheme's strengths and weaknesses, and a whole lot more. I had a great conversation with Coach, so you don't want to miss that. Next up, we've got two technique. We're going to go back to the well with my good friend Mike Quick. I know how much all of you enjoy my conversations with Mike, and since we're discussing Tampa 2 with those cloud corners up in the receivers' faces, I figured it'd be great to hear from Mike again about beating press coverage from a receiver's perspective. Then we wrap it all up like we always do with Saturday Scouting. We're going to look at cornerback Eric Rowe and my notes on him coming out of Utah. Obviously, Rowe still has a ways to go before we get the full story on him as a pro player, but we've seen a lot of good from him so far in his career. With Byron Maxwell gone, there will be a lot put on Rowe's plate on the outside as a corner. So we've got a lot to get into. Let's get the show started. I mentioned it earlier. I caught up with Tony Dungy to get a really in-depth look at this Tampa 2 scheme and what it took to put it all together. Let's get things rolling with Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Very, very honored to be joined by NFL Hall of Famer as a coach and as a player, Tony Dungy. You remember him as a Super Bowl winning head coach with the Indianapolis Colts. He had so much success in Tampa Bay, in Pittsburgh, really wherever he's been. Coach, I really appreciate the time to join us here on the podcast and talk about the Tampa 2 scheme. And you know, obviously you guys put a lot of work in and it really people think of it and it got it gets called the Tampa 2, but it goes back to your days with the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? I mean, tell us about the origins of this scheme. Well, it really did. Everyone calls it Tampa 2 now, but it actually started in 1972 in, in Pittsburgh. Bud Carson uh, came from Georgia Tech, and actually it was a, a college coverage, and he brought it to the Steelers. He and Chuck Noll kind of perfected it. Uh, I got there in 1977. They'd already won a couple of Super Bowls with it, uh, using big, bigger corners, more physical guys, uh, smaller, more athletic linebackers and uh, relying on the pass rush of four guys. But I learned the principles there as a player, and then from there um, kind of took it uh, to to Minnesota. When I left there and and went to Minnesota in 1992 as defensive coordinator, actually joined up with Monty Kiffin. He had been there before I I was. They had the cast of characters that was just perfect. had a a dominant front four with Chris Dolman and John Randall, who would go on to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, had some corners who could really not only play coverage but were physical and hit and had some active linebackers. So it got started again. That was 1992, and then uh, Monty and I both went to Tampa in 1996. And when we got to the playoffs in Tampa, I think that's when it became fashionable. We had not only some great players but uh, guys who, who really just fit the bill and, and John Lynch and – Derek Brooks and Warren Sapp, Hardy Nickerson was our middle linebacker, and defense was kind of our calling card. So that that was kind of the tracing it through uh, maybe 25 years. Then. All right, Coach, I want to go from position by position here 
and really get a sense of some of the coaching points that you're trying to teach all of your players throughout the defense as you're playing this scheme. And let's start at the cornerback position. What are you telling those cloud corners up at the line of scrimmage that you want them to do when you're playing in a Tampa 2 coverage? Yeah, you're, you're playing zone coverage. The corners are responsible for the flat uh, area. They're going to have to come up and make tackles in the running game and in, in the short passing game. So it's not the type of system that you can rely on just small cover corners. These guys have to be able to make tackles uh, and be physical and, and be part of the run run defense. Uh, but on the other side of the coin, sometimes a lot of people aren't looking for those type of guys. And we got players who people thought were a little bit uh, maybe not fast enough, not quick enough to, to play man-to-man coverage, and they ended up being, being great players for us. All right, Coach, how about the safeties? As a half-field player on the back end, what are the coaching points, what are the responsibilities of those safeties in a Tampa 2? Well, the, the biggest thing is you, you've got two guys who are going to control deep half of the field, and they have to rely on their pass rush. Uh, people are going to try to flood that deep area with three receivers and, and get people open in the deep zone. And what we always said is you have to trust your eyes and be able to read the quarterback, and it's up to the front four to not let him pump fake you and reload and you have to go where he's looking. And if you do that and you have safeties with good range uh, who can cover a lot of ground, then they can make plays in that, that deep area 20 yards up the field. Uh, they can cover half the field. But it, it takes guys with good instincts and good ball skills to do that. Really the player that separates the Tampa two from just regular cover two is that Mike linebacker. And obviously he has a different responsibility in a cover two as compared to a Tampa two. What is it that sets that Mike apart? What were you looking for? What are the different coaching points that you would try and teach that player? Yeah, uh, when it first got put in in the 70s, you didn't see a lot of great tight ends. And people didn't attack down the middle of the field. They didn't put uh, wide receivers in the slot and try to get down the middle. So um, that, that weakness wasn't really exposed. And the more we played it in Pittsburgh, the more people started scheming against it. And you saw tight ends like Ozzie Newsom and Kellen Winslow come into the league. People try to put receivers in the slot and find that void area in the middle. So the middle linebacker had to be fast enough to get downfield and get deep and, and make some plays at that 18 to 20 yard area to protect the safety. So, uh, you know, Jack Lambert, when he played for us, he, he was perfect because not only was he athletic, but he was tall with long arms and he could make some plays on those balls that tried to get line drive into that deep area. Um, so it, it's, it's a tough position to play because you have to be physical enough to play in the run game, but athletic enough to get back in that 18 to 20 yard hole and protect against some of those deep throws down the middle. All right, now on the outside, Coach, at the outside linebacker spot, what were you looking for? What were some of the qualities, some of the traits that you were looking for at that position when you were putting that team together? Well, again, those outside linebackers have to be very much like the corners. They're playing uh, intermediate zones, and they're playing in the middle of the field, and you want them to be able to ball react and make plays in the passing game and get their hands on balls. But they have to be physical enough to make tackles. When you play in the third and sixth and they drop a ball off to a, a, a fullback and Eddie Lacy or someone in, in that short zone, you've got to be physical enough to come up and make the tackle and make it fourth and one instead of first and ten. So, uh, again, guys who are athletic, who are aggressive, who can hit and explosive, but, but also guys who have ball skills and can get their hands on balls. That's uh, ideally what you're looking for. 
Coach, when you would call Tampa 2 from the sideline, what were some routes and some route concepts that you felt confident that Tampa 2 would stop? What was it strong against when you called it between the lines? Well, it, it really came into play for that West Coast offense where people were throwing those intermediate routes, those one-on-one uh, -on, -one on the outside, the curl routes, the quick outs, uh, quarterbacks getting rid of the ball fast and throwing on the outside. Uh, we felt we could take all of that away and make people throw underneath, make them throw the ball inside, make them throw uh, swing passes to the backs and flares out in the flat, and then you could come up and make the tackle. But it was really put in place to take away the quick, easy outside throws to the wide receiver. And then conversely, obviously, every coverage has a void. If, if a coverage didn't have a void, everybody would play it every down. What were some of the, the weak points of that Tampa 2 zone that you were concerned about that you thought teams would try to attack? There are, especially if you can look off. If you have time to look one way and come back and throw the other, um, then you, you're going to have a chance to get some things open. If you've got a tight end who is a especially good deep threat and can get down the middle and hold those safeties, then you can get them thinking about that guy and throw the ball deep on the outside. Uh, so there are some things that, you know, you can't just play cover two every down because you can get attacked. Um, but, but we felt like if we made people be patient and throw seven or eight balls underneath, then eventually we would make something happen by not giving up that deep ball and not giving up a two-play or three-play touchdown drive. Being around the coverage as long as you have, I know there are lots of different names for that void between the corner and the safety. I've heard coaches call it the turkey hole, you know, all these kind of different <laughs> out, the, out there pocket, names. Yeah. What, what are some of the good ones you've heard from that for that void in the coverage? Um, I, I, we had a wide receiver coach who called it the side pocket, and, and that's what he would always tell the quarterback. We've got to get open in that side pocket, look down the middle and throw it there. Uh, and that's one that uh, you're going to get some balls in there, but we always said we've got to make it tough for that receiver to catch it there. Corner's got to make that ball be thrown up high enough so the uh, safety can at least make a play on the receiver. Now with some of the rules and not being able to hit the receivers as well, I don't know in the last – I've been out of it now six years. Uh, that probably makes it a little tougher on those safeties. What is one of the, the biggest things when you're watching the game now, obviously in your role at NBC – uh, you know, watching week to week, what are some of the biggest differences in the game now as opposed to a few years ago when you were on sidelines? It's really hard to coach defense because you're, you're trying to be aggressive and you're not trying to be dirty. You're not trying to hit people in the head, but it, it happens. And so when you're saying, hey, we've got to be aggressive, we've got to fly to the ball, we've got to, to make people not want to catch the ball in that deep area, and then you see guys getting flagged for what you think are, are clean hits, I'm not sure how I would coach in this day and age. Have there been players that you've watched now that you say, oh, man, like he, he would have been a perfect fit in what we like to do? <laughs> you know, a guy like Richard Sherman, is he a guy that you would have looked at and said, you know, this is exactly what we would have wanted in that scheme? Yeah, you look at that Seattle secondary, and, and they they do. They bring that physicality and that, those ball skills, and, and that's what I was always looking for. And, Coach, really one of the most impressive things, you know, when you go back to your reign there in Indianapolis, you were the last coach that really played Tampa 2 as almost as a base defense. And that's what you played almost down and down. Obviously, you mixed it up a little bit. But now everybody plays Tampa 2, but in spurts, in different situations. You know, you see sometime on third down, down in the red zone, in certain down and distance situations, depending on the team, everybody runs it in some form. 
How hard was it, though, to work with your personnel staff and work with your scouting staff? What was it like when you were searching for very specific skill sets throughout the defensive side of the football and you had to work hand-in-hand there with your personnel staff? You had Bill Polian there as the general manager. What were some of the the strengths and weaknesses of having to work in a system like that as from a team-building perspective? Yeah. Yeah, if you're going to play it uh, extensively, then you really need those type of players. And that's what we look for. Uh, first of all, you have to have defensive linemen who can create pass rush with just the four of them. So that becomes critical, finding those defensive ends who can rush the pass or inside linemen who, who can be disruptive. Uh, your linebackers, you're not looking for those blitzers, those big uh, three, four outside linebackers uh, that, that can rush the passer uh, but aren't great in the passing game. And you got to have seven guys in the back end who can all tackle. And, and so you're looking for that, and if you get that, then you can play it down in and down out. But if you have corners that aren't very physical, then it becomes a liability in the run game. Uh, if you have linebackers who can't make plays on the ball or can't make plays in the open field, then you get picked apart underneath. So – uh, you're definitely looking for a specific type of guys, but what we found was a lot of other teams weren't looking for those same type of guys. So you could get undersized linebackers uh, like a, a Cato June uh, that, that are perfect for our system, and they weren't hot on other people's boards. You could get corners uh, who were uh, a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger, maybe not as fast in the 40, and, and they would fall down into that second or third round because – other people weren't looking for them. So you're right. We were very specific in what we're looking for because we did want to play that as our predominant coverage. Well, Coach, I really, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us here to talk about the Tampa 2 on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. I hope to talk to you again very soon. No, you're welcome, Fran. Good to talk to you. Great stuff from Coach. And, again, you can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Tony Dungy. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that gets produced here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I really appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. We've got more to get into, but it's that time. Let me welcome in my favorite guy in the room, the man with a plan, my esteemed producer, Brian Thomas. What's up, BT? Nothing much. How are you? Uh, it's, it's good, man. Another uh, another week closer to the draft, and the offseason continues. It's uh, it's always busy here we're, at the Novacare Complex. We're kinda in the, everyone thinks this is obviously a dead time. Yeah. Free agency <laughs> is, is kind of ramping down to a degree. Yep. We obviously made some signings last week, and we're kind of getting to that period where we're now prepping for the draft, doing some features, traveling. So we're kind of in a, in a, in a weird period, but we're still cranking stuff out. Um, you mentioned Tampa 2 defenses. Yes. So is, is that a defense that still exists in the NFL? Is it something that, that, def- that defense is still run? A lot of people still run Tampa 2, and you see it a lot throughout pretty much every team. Almost every team runs Tampa 2 from time to time, but it's not a base defense anymore, a base terminology where uh, a team runs it a majority of the time at this point. So what's the reason why? Why aren't teams running a defense? It was obviously successful under the Colts when Tony Dungy was there and when he was with Tampa, obviously the Tampa 2 defense. Um, But why is it something that's not really run as much now? So I think that really the the cause of that is, one, and you, you heard Tony talk about it, was the all the effort that goes into making sure you have all the parts. It's almost like you, know, you look back at the, at the Eagles when, uh, when Jim Washburn was here and you had the wide nine front, right? And that's great. You can have the wide nine front, 
but you have to have the right linebackers. You have to have the right safeties. Everybody else has to be right. You have to have the right defensive tackles. It can't just be, oh, yeah, we've got two DNs wide up, wide nine, and, and they're going to just pin their ears back and rush. You have to have everything that goes with it and correlates. Everything is, is working together. Same thing with the Tampa 2 scheme. You have to have the right safeties. You have to have the right corners. You, you have, have to have the linebackers. You have to, have the, you have to be able to create pressure with front four. So there's a lot that goes into it. And then also – Offenses now, and this was the case a few years ago when when Tony Dungy was coaching. But offenses now, they'll pick you apart. If you know, if you if you know you're going to be in Tampa two for a good chunk of the time, as a Tampa two team, you've got to be able to execute at a high level. We see now turkey holes. Yeah, there's the turkey holes. Exactly right. Uh, But you look at Seattle, right? Everybody knows Seattle's going to go and they're going to play cover three. Right. Seattle's a great execution defense. They're they're going to do it and they're going to do it well. You have to be able to do that down in down out. So. Uh, that's probably I would say that's probably the biggest reason why you don't see it as much. Look, Lovey Lovey Smith was down in Tampa Bay last year. They weren't a big Tampa two team, even though he came up with Dungy running that Tampa two scheme. I mean, it's a heavy it's a heavy zone defense. It requires guys that really know their 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 responsibilities. Everyone yep. being in the right place at the right time. Because if they're not, you're going to leave a huge portion of the defense wide open. And I remember the guys down in uh, obviously in Tampa. You had uh, you had John Lynch, you had Dexter Jackson, obviously yep. Rondé Barber. Were they specific? zone guys that fit into the scheme? Rondé Barber, for sure. And John Lynch was a guy that, you know, he was known for his, his ability to play downhill. But then also, you know, when you have a safety that can play in a two-shell, so you have two high safeties as opposed to just one, it's less ground for them to cover. So you can, you can make up for the fact that maybe those guys aren't as great an athlete because right. they only have half the field they have to patrol as opposed to the full field. Right. So, uh, you know, when you have guys like Lynch, and that, and that allows you, that's why, that's like why I asked Tony about, uh, you know, it's almost easier to dream. If you say this is how we're going to play, you know, you, who are the safeties? No one's taking safeties that don't have great range, so you can get that safety later. No one's taking corners that, oh, they don't really have great speed, so we can draft Take them later. later. DNs that were undersized, we can draft them later. So yeah. that allowed them to, to put all their assets into that dominant three technique. They drafted Warren Sapp in the top 15. Yeah, you get Derek Brooks and Simeon Rice, and now you make sure that you're set in the front seven. You can spend assets on the, in, on the offensive right. side of the football. Uh, and that's why it's, it's so fascinating to see how teams can, it can build a team. There's so many ways to, uh, to win the NFL. Obviously, you want to have good quarterback play. You still need a, a quality defense, but there are so many ways you can get to it. And it was just interesting hearing from Coach about all the different ways that they had to make sure all their T's were crossed, all their I's are dotted uh, to make sure that the scheme would work. I remember uh, Asante Samo was kind of like a, a very kind of zone-esque corner where he, he can play a man, but he was, if he was baiting, a, a, he knew how to bait and play a man look Yep. Type coverage, but really he'd read underneath routes and guys coming into his zone in his quarter, and he'd break on balls. But you know, obviously one of the, one of the best corners I saw kind of play up the close in person. But speaking of a guy that is good playing corner, who are some guys coming out that that are good zone corners that you know fans can watch out for? Yeah, so I think there's a few guys in this draft class that you know when I look at and I say, okay, man coverage wise. Maybe they're not as strong, but they show really good ability in zone. And, and they could one of those potentially play a Tampa two could potentially play the Tampa two scheme, or they could go to Seattle and play in their cover three. Because again, a lot of zone coverages at some point we've talked about this in the past. We've talked about it with Greg Cosell a lot as well in Chalk Talk. Is you know a lot of zone looks at some point they become man. If you're in cover three and you're playing in the deep third of the field, and a receiver runs in your area you and you're 25 him. yards downfield. You've got to plaster. You've got to get on that guy's hip, and it's it almost that, becomes it's that a man. Old John Cheney, that that, yep. that that man zone principle. Matchup zone. You're, yep. You're, you're playing a zone, but the man comes in your zone. That's your man. That's so. your man. 
So, you know, you look at some of these guys, and one of the, one of the players, Justin Burris from NC State, uh, we saw him at the Shrine game. He's six foot, 212 pounds. One of the most disciplined press corners in this draft. Very sound at the line of scrimmage. He disrupts receivers with ease. Uh, every time I watched him, the question with him is, what kind of athlete is he? He goes to the combine. He runs a 4.47. Great time. Um, but he had bad times in his, four, in his short shuttle and his three cone. So people are wondering, does he have the ability to hit pocket with receivers and change direction and play in man? Showed good ability in zone coverage. You know, Daryl Worley, the, the Philly kid, he was an underclassman, declared for the draft from West Virginia. He's 6'1", 204 pounds. He's got great size. He's got starting traits in a press scheme. Again, showed great ball skills when he's sound in his technique. He's got great length. Athleticism and speed are a concern. But he made some great plays in zone coverage, both this year in 2015 as well as a sophomore in 2014, a guy that showed great ability in zone. Eric Murray from Minnesota. We saw him at the Senior Bowl, 5'11", 199 pounds. I can remember a play where he dropped back, and it was a pass breakup he made in cover three. He passed off a crossing route, so a guy started on his side of the field. He passed him off to the safety, then peeled back to his side of the field and knocked the ball down on somebody that came into his route late or into his area late. When you see guys that have that kind of awareness, you can translate that into being effective in a zone scheme. Same thing with Tracy Howard, a corner from Miami. No one's talking about 5'10", 183 pounds. Wasn't at the combine. Made similar plays. I can remember an interception he made against Nebraska on a post wheel. Same thing. He did it against Virginia Tech this year in cover two, where he, he peeled off, he passed his man off to, uh, to another defender, and then he gets into somebody that comes into his zone late and makes a play on the football. Those are the kinds of things you're looking for from some of these zone corners, and I think those guys definitely showed that throughout, throughout their college career. So give me, who would you rank? Like If you had to rank these guys, give me one, two, three, four. I would, I would say Burris is my favorite of that group. I always liked Tracy Howard, man, and I know like you know he's he's a little bit smaller. He's five ten, one eighty three, and you know I, they they didn't have their pro day yet. But I, from what I've heard, he's not going to run well. But it, man, he's a, he's a head he's a heady player, man. He played, made a lot of instinctive plays both this year and last year. And then you have Worley, the Philly kid from West Virginia. He's and great size, and he flashes great ball skills. And if you've got size and ball skills, that'll take so you a long way. He's the biggest kid out of all these kids. So yeah. I know size is something that obviously. Teams look at can, yep. a tra- can a guy translate? Can he cover these big guys that you know receivers as they, you know, guys you deal with in college? There's very few guys who have NFL bodies. Yeah. So you don't see that consistently. Where you go to the NFL, the third the third receiver has an NFL obviously exactly has an NFL right. body. So you've got to be able to cover guys one through four. And the thing about the thing that's scary about Worley is they played obviously they're in the Big Twelve now. They played against Baylor. And he was matched up against Corey, Corey Coleman, Coleman yeah. and Corey Coleman torched him in the first quarter. They actually moved Worley to the other side of the field get and the, to get him away from Coleman, and Coleman torched Coleman. the guy. They moved over there. Uh, Coleman's game Coleman against West Virginia. Coleman is, yeah, Coleman is a good player. So uh, certainly a lot of talented receivers to go up against these talented corners. But there was some guys, there was a good question about uh, some zone corners. But let's keep this show going. We talked with Tony about those press corners and a cover two or a Tampa two scheme. But how do receivers get off the line against those press corners? I talked with Mike Quick about that exact topic. Let's get to that conversation right now in Two Technique. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for Two Technique. Joining me this week on Two Technique, former Eagles wide receiver Mike Quick, analyst for Eagles game plan, color commentator with the the great, the legendary Merrill Reese. Uh, Mike, welcome to the show. I know that uh, you're a busy man, so I appreciate the time. No problem, friend. 
I'm happy to be on two technique. <laughs> All right, well, let's get to it. Well, the, the topic I want to talk to you about this week is getting off press coverage and what that means for a wide receiver. What are the different technique points that go into defeating press coverage if you're a receiver or the cornerback right in your face at the line of scrimmage? Who? Well, first thing, when, when a wide receiver gets a corner in his face, he's first has to realize his objective. Where does he want to get to? And so that determines in large part to how you want to release, how you want to get your release. Am I, do I have to get to the inside of this guy? Do I have to fight to get to the outside? Because you have to f- know how that's going to affect the rest of the play, whether it's an inside release, outside release. And if you're going to use an arm over technique where you're going to swim a guy, if you're just going to use your forearm and just make sure you beat his hands off of you, or if you're just going to stutter, use quick feet, stutter step him, and work to the inside to get even on him, work to the outside to get even on him, and then do whatever you need to do, have to do, whatever your plan is once you get even with that guy or on top of that guy. How much of it is feet versus hands? I think it's mostly feet. Okay. Uh, but if you're not real swift to feet, you better be real strong in your hands and your ability to – uh, out muscle a guy who's trying to press cover you. You've got to have one or the other, and if you've got both, well, that's the guy that you really want out there defeating press coverage, a guy who has outstanding feet as well as strong upper body and is able to swim guys or beat his hands off of you and get even with that guy so he's at your will. So then the last question is how much of it can you teach and how much of it is something that – uh, you know, some guys, obviously, we just saw Mike Evans this past week, big, strong yeah. guy, can run through that contact. Sure. Uh, but how much of it is something that you can really develop and bring a guy along? Well, a lot of it you can develop. And um, a lot of it is just willing and, and someone who knows how to properly teach a guy, how to keep a guy's hands off of you, how to keep the space and get to where you want to get to. First of all, friend, it has to be in your head. What's my objective? What do I need to do? How do I need to set this guy up to be successful, to get to where I need to get to, to make this play successful? All right. So that's a two technique here with Mike Quick. We appreciate the time always here on the Eagle Island Sky podcast. You got it. Great stuff there from Mike. And he did a great job breaking down the specifics of beating press coverage as a receiver. And now I'm going to quickly break down how to subscribe to a podcast. And if you're listening to this on the Eagles app or on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, and you like what you hear, it's really easy. All you have to do is go to your phone, you go to your podcast app, all of those fancy schmancy smartphones have them. You just search Eagle Eye in the Sky, you hit subscribe, and now this show downloads automatically to your phone every week, and you can listen whenever you want. Listen in the car, you can listen at work, whenever and wherever you want, and while you're at it, you can go subscribe to the Eagles Live podcast with Dave Spadaro. The Journey to the Draft podcast is obviously huge right now with the draft just six weeks away. Myself and Ross Tucker host the College Draft Podcast, so there's a lot of great podcasts out there. You just have to know where to look. BT was the one that got me hooked on podcasts a couple years ago, and it's never been the same for me since. That's all I do now is listen to podcasts. So uh, let's wrap this show up like we do every single week. Let's get into Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, B, this week on Saturday Scouting, uh, a player that I think a lot of Eagles fans are excited about moving forward is the second-round pick from a year ago, Eric Rowe from, from Utah. And he was a guy that we saw in person at the Senior Bowl. 
was a really intriguing player a year ago because he had corner safety versatility. He's a big kid. He can run. He had one of the best combines of all the corners in the draft. Uh, what are your feelings right now as, in terms of Eric Rowe going into the season? I'm excited to see him play. Um, obviously, he, he got up to a, a difficult when he was a full-time starter. When yeah, obviously, Noel sure. Carroll got hurt in a Thanksgiving game, broke his ankle. Rowe came in, had a difficult time with Calvin Johnson. Most DBs have difficult times with Calvin Johnson. So um, I wasn't as worried. I actually liked that he got out there against someone, a perennial, obviously, Hall of Famer. Yep. Um, but I'm excited to see what he did, what he can do going forward full-time, knows it's his job, kind of competes at it. Um, and I think having guys around him, the Ron Brooks, the McClouds, oh, yeah. he has some veterans that can really kind of show him the way. I think it was helpful to have Walter Thurmans and the guys around him last year that he was learning from, but he was learning on the fly, and it's really hard to teach a guy you know, when the two-thirds of the season's already done. So I'm excited to see when he has an entire all-season to compete, really learn the position. Uh, sophomore, your, your second year is a big year for you oh, in yeah. the NFL. So, 100% um, right. Does he kind of take the next step? Does he regress? But um, I'm excited to see with a new coaching staff, Tim Houck, um, Jim Schwartz has really done well in all his stops. So I'm excited to see how he plays in this new defense. Yeah, no question about it. So we were talking about Rowe last week, and I said, you know what, let's let's make him the focus of Saturday scouting this week. Right. So I went back. It was only a year ago at this time, but I went back and I looked at my notes of him coming out of Utah. And, uh, just under six foot one. He was six zero zero six, so six foot and three quarters, two hundred and five pounds. Like I said, he had a very good combine. Was very disruptive during his career at Utah, where he played safety for the first three years of his career before transitioning to corner as a senior. Started the 2014 season at left corner, and at times he slid into the slot, lined up mostly in press coverage, playing a good mix of man, cover two, and cover three. So he had a wide variety of coverages under his belt, and he played all of them very well. Is at his best at the line of scrimmage, getting his hands on receivers in press situations. He knows how to use his length to disrupt routes early in the down. He appears to read routes well and look just as comfortable in man as he did in zone coverage. And that was one thing I was really impressed with, I remember, because he had been a safety. Seeing a guy come in and transition to the outside of corner and be confident and comfortable in man coverage was a great thing to see. Going back to the notes, when he lined up and off, he showed the ability to click and close. And what that means is think of a guy in off coverage, so he's lined up six, seven yards away from the receiver, and he's down in an athletic stance and he's in his pedal. And when a guy closes on the football, so he plants that back foot and drives, that's cl- I, I always called that click and close, and he showed the ability to do that at a very efficient rate. At the catch point, I thought he did a good job shooting his hands and knew how to get the football on the ground. He caught what, what hit his hands and showed the ability to make the interception uh, and finish all the ball in the air. A reliable tackler who can come up and impact against the run consistently got his man to the ground. He was a really aggressive, competitive player that played with a ton of energy. And I remember that game against Michigan, I remember last year in 2014, he was outstanding in that game. And I can just remember watching him and thinking, man, Eagles fans would love a defensive back that plays this way. So really excited about what Rowe can bring. And then you look at some of the negatives. Thought he needed some refinement with his press technique. He'll get overextended at times. And you saw him really improve in that area. I thought Corey Unlin has done a great job with Rowe over the past couple years, really with two things. The press technique I just mentioned, and then also getting in phase downfield. And we talked on this podcast about the difference between being in phase and out of phase as a defensive back. And that was an area that Rowe needed to improve on. And he made a number of plays last year where he was started out of phase at the line of scrimmage was able to get back in phase, get up and make a play on the football turn. You know, it's really hard because you turn your back to the quarterback and then you have to turn and find the ball late. 
I thought he did a really good job of getting better in that area. So overall, I thought Rowe tested a lot better than I thought he would going into the combine. You have to like all of his measurables, and I was a big fan of his play personality. If he can refine his technique and settle in at one spot, which now he, it seems like he has now, I think he could be a starter at either safety or cornerback in the NFL and deserves a chance to prove himself on the outside. I think that he did do that last year. And you mentioned that Detroit game. Certainly, there were some plays he'd like to have back. I thought he competed well in that game. And then moving forward, Rowe, I thought, had a, a very good rookie season for a rookie corner. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he, what, he, what he would do. And I think the biggest thing, too, is obviously I talked about him uh, getting a little bit more tu- tutorship from a uh, mentorship from some of the older players. But yeah. I think he mentioned something, uh, I think it was towards the end of last year, is that really understanding route recognition, yep. film room. So I think kind of... It's something that fans hear a lot of, but it's that off the field, it's really diving into the playbook and knowing what's coming at you going into a game. I think as a rookie, it's really hard to digest everything that comes at you. You're kind of playing off your instincts, kind of playing off what guys are telling you. But I'm excited to see, I guess, like I said, an entire season, all season, really playing and, and get that, that mentorship and kind of know what to expect when, when he gets onto the field. Yeah, and you brought it up. They, players a lot of times make that huge jump from year one to year two, and then also you see that year two to year three. So yep. we're going to see that first big jump from Eric Rowe going into 2016. Well, let's wrap this show up. Thanks again to Tony, to Mr. Mike Quick, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you, and if you get the time, Go on, rate the show, leave us a comment, and let us know what you think. Shoot me a question. I want to hear from everybody out there and keep all of you happy. So wherever you listen, just go shoot us a comment, and we can keep making this show better each and every week. All that being said, I think that I'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For my producer, BT, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.